Welcome to our session called Beyond Our Wildest Dreams. Beyond Our Wildest Dreams, and here it is, Beyond Our Wildest Dreams is a book about the history of Overeaters Anonymous written by our founder, Roseanne. In the book, Roseanne describes how her first attempts to find members failed. She decided to try something new. She had an overweight neighbor across the street who she wanted to uh, join uh, for her, with her. And as she hurriedly left her friend, she tells her friend, well, I have to go to a health club to see about starting this group. Well, let's see, oh, oh but I know you wouldn't be interested. Her friend was intrigued and persisted. What's the name of your group? Roseanne answered, well, I know you don't share this problem, but I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm having a terrible time. She persisted, Joe, her friend persisted. What's the name of the group? Roseanne says, I took a deep breath. Overeaters Anonymous. Joe said, you know, I think I'd like to try it with you. At that moment, the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous was born. And with this introduction, I would like to turn over the next 20 minutes to our first speaker, Nancy B. Nancy is from Los Angeles. She lived a few blocks from our founder. She was one of Roseanne's sponsees and became very close to, to Roseanne as they worked on public information for OA. Nancy has lost 150 pounds in OA and has been abstinent 45 years. So now Nancy will tell us about Roseanne and Nancy. My name is Nancy Beecham and I am a compulsive overeater coming to you from Los Angeles, California, where OA was born. This one's for you, Roseanne. I'll start with her favorite poem. Difficult, mo oh, happy moments, praise God. Difficult moments, seek God. Quiet moments, worship God. Painful moments, trust God. But every moment, be thanking God. In the year 1957, a song was written for a possible Broadway play. Roseanne heard that song and it was to have a profound effect on when Jim Willis, the founder of Gamblers Anonymous, told her to take his hand and together they would go to Alcoholics Anonymous to try to start a program for people like her. Here are the words to that song. Somewhere, someday, we'll find a new way of living. We'll find a way of forgiving. Somewhere, there's a place for us. Somewhere, a place for us. Peace and quiet and open air will wait for us. Somewhere, there'll be a time for us. Somewhere, there'll be a time for us. Time to spare. Time together. Time to learn and time to care. Somewhere. We'll find a new way of living. We'll find a way of forgiving. There's a place and a time for us. Hold my hand and we're halfway there. Hold my hand and I'll take you there. Somehow, someday, somewhere. Bill Wilson, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous said, and this got back to Roseanne, he said, God did not come to me and speak ever, but he sent down others who did. And so my friends, this 300 pound, five foot one single mom, me, was crazy. I was crazy enough to land in jail because I was so lonely. I had very dangerous friends. I was sane enough 
did that my parents, when I was very young, mortgaged their home to try to have money to put me in hospitals to try to starve me. And then my seven and nine-year-old were so terrified of me because I was constantly bringing home, even when I was new in Overeaters Anonymous, my first 10, 15 years, men from the coffee pots to be their new fathers. And it scared those kids to death. The loneliness of my obesity, I was a battered wife. I was harassed all the time by employers. One told me I was too fat to take lunch breaks. But all I knew all my life from being a child was to be bullied. That was until one day God opened up those pearly gates and he sent Jean Jaffe Smith and Roseanne Scholar into my life. In the early days of Overeaters Anonymous, heaven did open up its gates and it dropped down into a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, a woman named Thelma. She joined OA when it was just starting. Her husband was an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thelma had been to many, many meetings. Both Roseanne and her very spiritual friend, Jean Smith, asked Thelma to sponsor them. They did everything together. Thelma introduced them to many grand AAs who were the speakers for years at all the Overeaters Anonymous meetings. Jim Willis from, from Gamblers Anonymous told Roseanne, you will be a baby in this program. It will take 10, 15 years to get any of you well enough to really be speakers. Until then, it's probably damaging to you that you get up and share what you can't possibly know yet. And so he sent Alabama and Dottie Shore and Don R and Nancy Chandler and Eddie Cochran and Chuck C and Bobby Earl and Jane Gray and Lou Adler and God, do we owe them a debt. And 16 years later, when I came into the program, they were still speaking and I thank God for that. One day I called, it was a fateful day, Jean Smith asking her to be my sponsor out of desperation. Well, I was afraid to ask Roseanne, so I called her good friend, Jean. And you know what? Al Smith answered and Jean refused to come to the phone. Well, I was not angry. I skipped emotion. I was just full of rage. And I didn't understand. Didn't she know who I was? And I picked up that phone and I called Roseanne to tell her loudly that her friend, this spiritual saint of OA that she talked about all the time, was really not a nice person. And Roseanne said to me, be quiet, child. Our sponsor, Thelma, died this morning. And that's a very true story. She went on to say, come to my home next Tuesday night. There's going to be a brand new thing happening in Overeaters Anonymous. Jean and I and Janet G are going to bring all of our babies and we're going to have a step study. We're actually going to study the steps and the principles in the steps and maybe even the traditions. And she hung up, but I went. I later learned that Natalie and Doris were going to do this on their side of town. Soon after, Jean and Roseanne, this was after Thelma's death, started to co-sponsor each other. Well, they talked and wrote constantly. I was so jealous of that friendship. They were just always taking pen to paper. I followed both of them like a puppy dog. I reported to Jean every day until her death. Jean got me out of my turbulent childhood and kind of calmed me down. I still had a life of great chaos, but Roseanne quietly and peacefully guided me from a selfish teenager to an adult with dignity, all the time substituting the steps, the principles, and her very favorite, the traditions. There was a big difference between the steps and the principle, the principles that taught you how to work the steps and those traditions that taught you how to live a life. And the fellowship, she substituted all those things for food. She always told me that I was God's kid and that someday I could do great things. Huh. She told me that I could live a calm, rich, abstinent, sober life and love and service as long as I kept in love and service and kept seeking God every day. She said I could make Jean and her proud 
She told me I could even work with councilmen and I could go to kindergarten and read to kids to make amends to my kids. And I could talk to doctors all about Overeaters Anonymous because I had been so obese and been hurt so much. And you know, every one of those things have come true. She pushed me to serve. And you're gonna now see a button, I believe. And a button says that I'm a friend of Roseanne, that we proudly were in those days when we went to world service. And there it is. And now you're looking, well, there's my friend of Roseanne button. And I'm hoping now that we will get a chance to get a screenshot of Roseanne's picture and my picture. For those of you who have never seen this tiny, beautiful lady, I think there's a picture of Roseanne that might be seen soon. <clears throat> and I, there's a picture of Roseanne. That is the cover of her memorial held in 2014 in Culver City, California, where eight of us, nine of us spoke. Okay, then I think there's also a picture of me the week that I came into, there I am when I came into Overeaters Anonymous. Okay, with that being seen, um, Every day, she had me say the first three steps. And she had me read Upon Awakening from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And she always had us read from the book For Today, written in 1982 by Overeaters Anonymous, one of its newest publications at the time. And that was a spiritual, spiritual page. And instead of calling three people every day, she asked me to read a page with them from the book and talk about recovery. We often picked out sweaters and we often picked out jewelry for her to go to conference every year where she got to speak. It was so important to her. She believed we need to always suit up and show up and look the best we can to show the message of recovery. She loved going to the Serenity Sunday meeting in Los Angeles that so many of you from all over the world have been attending on Zoom and the 100 pounders meetings. She just thought they were great because people who are dying go to those meetings and they're pretty darn serious. At the 100 pounders meetings, you're more apt to see people actually bring their problems to their, to their sponsors and bring the solutions to the meeting. She loved, loved, loved going through um, the book of Alcoholics Anonymous and she came to me about 20 years before she passed. And she said she needed to go deeper spiritually. And so we spent a year going to Narcotics Anonymous. She had a hard time in Los Angeles at OA meetings having anonymity. So we went to these meetings with dear Samuel and he did a Joe and Charlie, they are now called workshop. And we studied that book every week. It was just the most beautiful experience. And I believe that she grew and got calm and worked very hard on all that anger she harbored for her mom. I lived walking distance to Roseanne. It was often I saw Marvin the accountant in his shorts walking. He was a very physical man. And then I often had the pleasure of seeing them. The most beautiful sight I could close my eyes and recall, walking hand in hand through the streets, taking evening walks. Roseanne taught me that before I spoke to any friend or family, or a member at a meeting that I was too verbose and I always needed to take pen and paper. So I needed to pause and seek God's guidance before. I needed to always ask God to guide me. She believed in taking a paper and writing, dear God, help me discover the truth and dating every piece. And then she used to always love to dialogue. She took the problem and wrote, dear God, help me discover blah, 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 blah. And then she wrote Roseanne and waited for an answer. And then she wrote God and hoped that something would come through that to the paper. She felt that it was just magical. Her other favorite thing was always writing on seven deadly sins. Said, who can't come up with something to write about anger, pride, sloth, lust, greed, envy, and wrath, which is extreme anger. Roseanne often talked about the principles. And so if we couldn't come up with something there, she had me talk about honesty, hope, surrender, courage, integrity, willingness, humility, 
brotherly love, responsibility, discipline, spiritual awareness or patience, and service. So for those of you that are new, these are the qualities that we get to gain in this program. We don't give anything up. We get to make room. We get to clear away the things in our life that stand between us and God and make room for all the new beauty. And I, I'll never forget the first thing she ever told me and the saying that she handed me. To get something you never had, Nancy, you have to do something you never did. And she told me that one day driving home from an intergroup meeting, Jean Smith said to her, Roseanne, we're a glum lot. We are not happy and joyous free. We need to stop working so much in OA and do something. We need to have music and parties and fellowship and, and just sing and dance. And thus the birthday party was born. And I am so proud of Region 2 and this convention because it's been a long time and people said it couldn't be on, done on Zoom. Well, they're doing it today and, and tonight. And so the entertainment, Roseanne would just be thrilled. She, she attended, and I think that we're gonna now see a picture of her very beautiful rose garden. She tended to that and probably also a picture of Roseanne standing in front of her home. She tended to that fragrant rose garden. There it is. It's, she just loved those roses. She spent hours with the chair sitting out and just smelling them and watching them. But there's another little picture coming up where you'll see how tiny she, there she is. Look at the size of that woman. She got very small as she got older. She was only like, I think four foot 10 and she was really tiny. And there she is when the gardens were getting ready to be replanted. She helped my sponsees on a daily basis. She thought nothing of getting in the car with me when somebody was in trouble. And you know, she would sit with those children in the soup plantation for hours. And she always ended after getting them into a solution by making us go to a meeting together. That was a great gift. She was always talking to a trustee and loved sitting in that spacious, sunny living room of hers. Oh my God. Until her death, half of her home had the archives of Overeaters Anonymous. Her entire bedroom, one of her bedrooms, had every single paper that OA ever did. And trust me, I mean every paper. Five minutes. There were triumphs and troubles and struggles, but she had tenacity. She always had courage and commitment. OA members did not always respect her. There were times she had epilepsy and there were times she gained weight and times she got ill. And often she felt that the old timers were just not honored at OA like they were in AA. But you know, she always believed that even though it was hectic and sometimes upsetting that Overeaters Anonymous starting it and working for it for her whole life was just so satisfying. But all the sacrifices were worth it because she described the birth of OA and its development as just being in the middle of a miracle in the making. I watched her do conference motions and, and I watched her love her grandsons. We talk so much about soccer and I'm so glad that Debbie had moved out of state, but that Julie stayed in the San Fernando Valley with those two precious grandsons so she got to see them. She loved to go to a deli. Juniors and Fromans were her favorite, but she settled for a weekly trip to the Overland Cafe where the OA girls hung out. And you know, she loved to go to Nichols because she loved Marina Del Rey. We often um, said that, um, she often talked about how seemingly bad things like my parents dying and having a very brutal mastectomy and, and having abortion, just all the horrible things that happened were such gifts for me because she said someday I would be able to use those things to tell people in Overeaters Anonymous know that there is hope. And now we're gonna see a candle and this is the candle when she found God that she gave to her babies. This was the last candle she ever gave me at Serenity Sunday. And this candle that I think is gonna be screen shared is a candle of a shell from the ocean so that I can know that God is always blowing his wind towards me. And the last prayer I'm gonna read is the one written by Jean and then I have a closing. As I walk with God, I stop running. And as I stop running, I can face myself. 
And as I face myself, I am facing God. In conclusion, in trying to help a friend, Roseanne attended Gamblers Anonymous. When she so strongly identified, she approached the founder who became her mentor and dear friend. Many years later, the 25th anniversary was held of Gamblers Anonymous. Jim was still mentally sharp, but his body was failing him. Roseanne seized the moment and told him that night his kindness and support had given him the ability to start Overeaters Anonymous. But that night, there was a lot of tributes, but there was the final one that put that audience in tears. Roseanne stood up with all her might and said, Jim, I'm sorry, God did not come down to me and speak, but God sent you. Thank you for putting your hand in mine and welcoming home so that I could live and Overeaters Anonymous could be born. Thank you for this honor. Thank you, Nancy, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for offering your services. Our second speaker is Phyllis S. Phyllis is a part of OA history. Roseanne writes of Phyllis in the book, Beyond Our Wildest Dreams. She writes of Phyllis, Sam, and Bobby starting a group in Amityville, New York, which they called the Westminster Group. Phyllis and other members of the group composed the Westminster Questions. Those were 21 questions with, of steps one, two, and three, which were to be answered in writing on 21 consecutive days. They were also followed by nine questions about the OA tools, which had to be answered one each day and follow the disciplined food plan. There was, and that was before we had any of our own literature. There was no messing around, Phyllis says. You had to do an assignment every day. After 30 days, you had a stepping up ceremony and were given a plant to mark the occasion. Then you became a sponsor. The Long Island Westminster program took off like a forest fire, Phyllis says. In no time, there were Westminster OA meetings every day and night. In 1976, Phyllis came to San Diego to live mm -hmm. and has been instrumental in strengthening and supporting recovery to those who want it. For those of us who know Phyllis, she still doesn't mess around. <laughs> Phyllis has also served on World Service, San Diego Intergroup, led many retreats all over the United States during her 50 years of abstinence. She, she also served as program chair for R2 Convention, which was called Beyond Our Wildest Dreams, and that was in 2005. Phyllis has lived life on life's terms for the last 50 years of abstinence and practicing the steps. When there are difficulties, I have, Phyllis had, has told me, abstin abstinence minimizes the pain. Um, Phyllis says the central part of her life is the certainty that her creator has entered into her heart and lives in a way that is indeed miraculous. And from the bottom of my heart and the heart of many, we love Phyllis very much. And now it's time for Phyllis to share. Good evening. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to be with you tonight uh, and, and to celebrate the wonderful life that we have been given. Uh, I went, long story, well, I'll start at the beginning. I'm also a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. And uh, I decided that I was going to go for the easiest one, and that would be the food. Little did I know that that it would be much easier to stop jumping around and doing unimportant things when I should be doing important things like watching my food. 
I came into the program, I lost uh, 85 pounds in, in the first six months because I knew when I walked into that room, I had never been to a meeting like that before. I had been searching from the depth, depths of my heart to find a way to make life worth living. And I really screwed it up, obviously, drinking and overeating and, and uh, not being very nice to people, including my family. And um, at the time, this program had started and, and I, the man I was dating at that time, my first husband was killed at the railroad station in the town that we lived in. And um, then I uh, married uh, another man. I have a long list of those too. Can't do anything right. And uh, the, the, uh, the man that I was dating was very psychological uh, in turn. And he was looking for a way to make a program for people who eat too much. And one day I was reading the newspaper and I said, oh, look over here what I found. There's a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous in our town. And uh, he ran out of the house and went to the meeting and he came back and he said, you will never ever believe what I have found. And he proceeds to tell me all of these wonderful things that he had been thinking of before. And uh, then he said, and I'm going to another meeting. I said, fine. It was for him, not for me. Um, and uh, that went on for about, uh, oh dear, I don't know, about three, four, maybe five weeks, when he finally said to me, you know, they are so loving. The women <laughs> give me kisses and, and say how wonderful it is to have me there. And at that moment, I decided to go to the next meeting. <laughs> and when uh, I got there in that dark basement of a church, not too far from my home, I was stunned. I was stunned and I was amazed at the feeling that I had. Being the first time in my life I was sitting in a church in the basement and it was dark and dreary, like, you know, and, and, and I thought I was in heaven. And uh, I said, this is what I have to do. I had been searching for years for the secret of living, you know, for the love life of life, for the best people in the world. And here I am sitting in a room with maybe 20 people. I don't know, I, don't, I can't remember, but uh, I knew that I was home. I knew that I was home. So I said, okay, what do I have to do? They said, you gotta get a sponsor. I said, what's a sponsor? And it was explained to me. And uh, I picked a person to be my guide. She was very, very unlike me. But then again, a lot of the world was unlike me. And she uh, said, you will call me every day. I said, sure, I could do that. And you will write down your food and you will tell me what you have eaten. And I said, is that what I came here for? You know, is that why I'm here? I'm not sure that's it, but I'll do what they say. So, I said, I'll give you 30 days. At the end of 30 days, if it doesn't work, I'm out of here. 
I became abstinent immediately. My sponsor was a wonderful person, but when it came to programs, she was the wicked witch of the West. Was that Roseanne? No, that was somebody else. And, and then they, I listened to her and she said, you'll call me every day. I said, fine, what time? She said, 5.30. I said, oh, that's good. I'm just about on my way home from work around that time. She said, no, 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 5.30 in the morning. And I said, I must be killing myself because why am I listening to all of these things that she's suggesting that I do not understand, do not know anything about, which was not a position I liked to be in. I had to know everything, or at least think I did. And then I started on the program and I got through four weeks. I got through a month and I wanted to learn more about this program. And that's when I was introduced to the leader of the troop. And uh, we had gone into, into the city uh, to a meeting. I don't remember where it was, but I see this little lady. I'm, I'm like five foot eight. And this little lady is the one that's telling everybody what to do. And I'm saying to myself, this is rather strange. And I started to listen to her. And I don't think that I ever cried so easily in my entire life. I sat there trying to catch my breath to say, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. And I said, okay, you guys, you won. I'm coming back, ready or not, I'm gonna be there. And I got very involved in the program. I got involved because I knew that there was something there, especially for me. And um, it got to a point where in my, my house, I, was, I had been widowed at the time and uh, my kids would say, when, when I would get upset, they'd say, mom, maybe you wanna go to a meeting. <laughs> and the best thing I did was to go out and jump in my car and go to a meeting because then everybody was happy. My kids were happy and I was happy. And then it got to my heart and to my brain. And I kept saying, okay, I will renew my membership card in, in this group. And it went on and on and on. And I finally spent time talking to the, the great wizard who started the program. And I have some pictures here and I don't know how I'm going to do this so that you can see them. Can I hold it for you? Now, there is Roseanne. That's me, that's my friend Sally, who helped me with the book, who is now also a member of Overeaters Anonymous, who calls me every day for the past 35 years to tell me how things are going for her. This is another picture. You can see they were taken at places when we were having good times. That's Roseanne next to me. Okay. Uh, this is Roseanne with somebody else whom I do not know. And perhaps you can identify that person for me. And this is a picture of Roseanne. I think, that, I think that's Natalie B. Natalie B. Okay, thank Carol, you. Carol's sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Natalie B? Natalie Bolin. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It looks like. 
Now, this is Roseanne with Sally, and Roseanne and Sally have had developed a relationship of their own where uh, Sally was able to do uh, writing for her. Uh, okay, this is a picture. of the three of us again. And now this last picture is my most favorite. That was when I learned that Roseanne had a depth of love for all the people in the program. And those of us who gave you know, maybe a little more, was so welcomed by her. She was so glad to tell us everything that she did or that she knew because you get to think, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. And and that happens to be what I'm going through. Um, this also, that's obviously the same day. And that was a wonderful day of my life because we talked... She asked me if she could talk to me about some things that uh, had, had uh, been given to me as a gift from the program. Uh, I decided that I hated everything I had ever done before. And I went back to school and I became a, um, what did I become? I, I, I just, uh, yeah, I lost word. I became a counselor for eating disorders. And I worked at a hospital and uh, that's where I met a lot of people that are still in program. And that is just so wonderful when I think about it, all these years that we've been going and sharing and doing, it all started with that little lady. Um, she was very quiet. I never heard her raise her voice. And she got things accomplished that proved to me that you don't have to scream and stamp your feet and, and yell for what you want. That it's easier to obtain when your heart is open to it. And um, my, my work in the program, I was, I was president of so many groups and, and uh, held every office that, that was necessary. And I wrote newspapers. I started newsletters. I started one for us. And, and then any time I moved, I started, oh, uh, papers for news, newsletters for people who are down. And, uh, it gave me the opportunity to make me feel better. And I, I never realized that I had so, so much power. And it wasn't power. It wasn't power. It, it was love that was given to me by this little lady who lived in a little house with flowers all around and gave her best, gave her heart and her her love to millions of people who never even met her. And this in itself is a miracle to me that I could have been part of that little bit. The program has changed my life. Uh, we were talking about husbands before. Truth be told, I was divorced a couple of years ago from my second husband and my third husband died two, two years ago. Five I'm, more minutes. Okay. I'm going to be 90 years old this week. I'm going to be 90 years old and I eat the same way I ate 50 years ago. Some little changes, you know, a piece of fruit now and then will help, but it's never done on my will, with my hand, without telling anybody that I'm going to do that. I've made some wonderful, wonderful friends. 
Jerry is is one of them. I absolutely love her, and and I love <laughs> my my, my Nancy. Right. Uh, I live I live in a uh, a home. <laughs> Actually, it's not a home for old people. It's open living. You can do anything you want and eat anything you want. And I still eat what I'm supposed to. I order it every day. I eat it every day. And I go to sleep very happily at the end of the day. I have one little thing that I would like to read, if you will allow me. A prayer for those living alone. I live alone, dear Lord. Stay by my side. In my daily life, be always my guide. Grant me good health, for this I pray, so I many, I, that I may live to the fullest every day. Help me stay positive in thought and in deed as I strive to be kind and help my neighbor in need. Protect me from threats such as theft and fire. Shield me from hatred and others' ire. If an illness or accident should befall me, then humble, humbly I pray for you, Lord, that you will hear my call. And when I'm feeling low and in despair, lift up my heart and help me in prayer. I live alone, dear Lord, yet I have no fear because I feel your presence ever near. Amen. And may you all have the privilege of living with this program because it teaches us an awful lot every day. I'm still learning. I don't remember things as well, but, but I'm still learning. And I love this program, and that's why I'm here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to Roseanne. Thank you to my friends who have gone ahead with this wonderful program. And thank you, God, for taking care of all of us. Thank you, Phyllis. That was awesome. That was wonderful, of course. Um, okay, now it's time for, um, now it's time for us to, ask questions or share on the topic. Um, so I don't know, I think um, Alan is going to um, ask the questions. To ask a question, click, click the Q&A button and type into the box. Okay, Jerry, we're getting some questions. Your first one is, for Phyllis, did you write that poem? If not, do you have one that you wrote that you could share with us? Uh, I don't have any that I wrote. I would, didn't want to be that brave. But uh, no, this is a, a, from uh, one of the saints, one of the many saints, and I'm Jewish. <laughs> it's a prayer for those living alone from the uh, Franciscan mission. And, oh, well, yes, I can give you a poem, I think. I don't have it with me, but it goes something like this. No, I can't, I can't remember it. Too rusty, too, <laughs> too rusty. <laughs> too risky, right, yeah. right. I'm sorry, I love you. A number of people are asking about their families and how they took their transformations. My family, well, they used to send me to meetings. What can I tell you about? You know, say, mom, please go to a meeting. They've always, they've always asked me, are you going to have a meeting at home? And I did, I had a lot of them. And I, they knew, as a matter of fact, one day, one of my sons had to recite something, and he recited something from the program <laughs> that overwhelmed the class, you know. But that's that's How the way was he? he was about 11, 
of serenity prayer, something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Like, <laughs> I'd like but, to answer that question also, if I may. For me, it was an entirely different story. My mother went to Al-Anon. When they would not let her be the speaker, she walked out. And she had never even been to a meeting before. And my daughters, I have one daughter who's probably about in her early 50s now who hasn't talked to me for probably 25, 30 years because she is still living in that anger and she had every right to have that anger. But I've been abstinent now, I'm celebrating 45 years and she still just can't figure out how to forgive. And my other daughter is a big, big, big doctor up at Stanford for psychiatry. And she too sporadically comes and talks, but she sends me lists of what I can talk about when I talk with her. And my granddaughter, I have one, she got on a plane and flew into Los Angeles. And the first thing she did was look in my closets to see if there were any drunk men, because she thought that's how I live. And when she saw I was half the size of her mom, and that I had wonderful friends, and I was self-supporting by my own confusions, the first thing I did was take her to a meeting. So you know the members of Overeaters Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous have been my family. I go to their givings and their holidays. On Christmas, groups of us got together and we take coats to the homeless. And it's just been the most miraculous thing. My family is who I choose to be my family. And I'll end this by saying, family are people that lift me up and make me feel good. Family are people that help me to do the right thing. Thank you. Thank you. Any more questions, Ellen? Oh, um, so what is your best advice after all your years on how best to recover, live, or anything? Give us your pearls of wisdom, hard one after all your years for both of you. May, may I do that? I uh, am so proud to be able to say that today. And that's, that's a reason I think that I'm still alive, you know, because I have this trail that I have to follow. And um, I think there is so much to gain by working the program, by reading the books, by doing the assignments over and over and over again and marking up books and, and, you know, and talking to people. It gives you a place to live. It gives you a space on, on the earth. It gives you the ability to change your mind, which was something I never would do. You know, that's it, over, the end. And uh, it the joy that it will bring to your life on a daily basis is, is never to be found anywhere else. Certainly, I don't know of it. And for me, the direct answer to that question would be, and I refer back to the book that my sponsor Roseanne wrote in 1967, I put my hand in yours. I believe that you must, because the big book says you must be completely abstinent to work the steps. So I believe the first thing you must do is go to a doctor or a nutritionist. I think we are not in the business of food, even though we seem to be having an enormous amount of workshops on that and get a food plan and follow that. You get a food sponsor to help you do that plan. And then you get a guide who will help you if you so have clarity and willingness to climb those steps. And I think that you have to be willing to give up because you have to empty your vessel to make room for new room. things to come in. And I would say that you have to be willing to seek God every day and to try to be a better person. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. On a related topic, people are asking about your daily spiritual practice. Both of you. Do you want to go first? Sorry. I called Roseanne when I was very new. And she told me the exact thing that she told me when she became my sponsor years later. She told me every day, to throw those the slippers underneath my bed. So I had to get on my knees because we were Jewish and we didn't get on our knees. And so I did. And the thing for me is if she said, jump high, jump high. 
And, you know, it didn't matter what you told me to do. I had to do it. And then she told me to read the first three steps and the passage from Upon Awakening in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which will tell me exactly how to live that day and to pay special emphasis to the pause. And then she had me read, we changed from four today to an outside book that we all read, but she said to call three people and I still do it. And we read a little saying every day and then we chat about it or discuss it. And that's kind of how my day starts. And I believe the biggest spiritual thing I can do is being still and sitting and living now where I can see trees blowing in the wind and thanking God. It's every hour on the hour when I'm in trouble to go and find something to say, thank you, God, for the sun. Thank you, God, for the rocks. Thank you, God, for birds, you know, because when I came here, it was people, places and things. I didn't see any beauty in this world. And when I get close to God and get still, Readers Anonymous allows me to right here, right now, see beauty in every room and everything. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Phyllis. Daily spiritual practice. <laughs> I get up in the morning and say, thank you, God. That's, that's where I start. And, and then I put two legs over the side of the bed and stand up. I say, thank you, God, again. Uh, that's only for old people. It may not be for everybody. <laughs> but uh, the daily practice is that the program is always part of me. It's, it's, it's just there. I can read something, you know, I may turn on the, the, the TV and somebody is talking about something. And I listen, but I don't have to do what that person says. I used to think that people in, in high positions were to be honored and, you know, adored and right. And I, I found out that that's not necessarily the truth for me. So I, and, and I'm constantly saying, thank you. Good example. The other day I was looking for something in my apartment and I just couldn't find it. Now I moved from a big house to a two bedroom apartment that barely has room to turn around in. And I'm standing in this doorway and I said, okay, God, I, I, I really, you have to help me find these things. And without any thought at all, I walked down the hallway here into the bedroom. I opened the top drawer and there are the things that I'm looking for. I say, thank you, God, again. I suppose I might get on my knees more, but I don't do that too well now. That's not one of my, uh, my favorite positions. <laughs> I want to just add one quick thing. My friend Judy, uh, Judy H. always says, if you take the I out of illness, replace it with we, you get wellness. And in oh. every day of my life, I take the I out of my daily life, my spiritual life will be, I don't do anything without checking it out with God or another human being who talks to God. Thank you. Thank you. Love that. 